Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. When I looked at my path, when I looked at the expected path, because look, there's no shortage of people that will tell you who you should be and what you should live. And, and, and so I say, you cannot live an authentic life living someone else's life. You cannot live an authentic life um, being someone that you're not. And so when I looked at that path, the expected path, the path, the, the path that everyone expected in terms of you know being normal, I, I just – it was a death for me. You know, I felt the pain of that of that death and the death of my own souls betraying itself. And uh, that really shook me up, you know, that really, really shook me up. And so when I looked at my future, when I looked at the trajectory of, wow, I could be successful by everyone else's everyone else's standards. But if I don't have myself, if I don't have who I am 10 years, five years, 20 years from now, uh, what kind of life is that, you know? And, and, and so allowing myself to feel the pain of that reality for me is what shook me up. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Running a business is hard, but your email marketing doesn't have to be. With AWeber's easy-to-use email marketing platform, you can stay connected with your audience, write new content faster, sell more, and grow your business, all without having to become an expert in yet another business tool. Start today at aweber.com slash podcast. That's A-W-E-B-E-R dot com slash podcast. AWeber, simpler email marketing. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. 
Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Cool. Welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah. So, you know, I actually came across your story because your publicist wrote in and uh, told me you had a book. Uh, I not only got a chance to read the book, but as we were uh, talking about before I hit record here, um, I had actually seen your work very, very many years ago. So it was very cool to sort of, um, you know, get exposed to it uh, in this level of depth and, and really kind of understand your story. So I want to start with a question that um, I have found has always been very revealing and informative. And I think in your case, in particular, I think it will be very interesting to see how you uh, answer the question. <laughs> what did your parents do for a living, and how did that end up impacting the choices that you've ended up making with your life and your career? <laughs> what did my parents do for a living? Um, <laughs> um, let's say my father was a miracle worker, uh, a minister, a spiritual teacher, a uh, spiritual leader. Uh, my mother was a part of his uh, ministry. He's a healer. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my father built, mm, let's say, 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa. He had a huge church in London. When I was growing up as a kid, still does have a church in London, not as big as it was then. You know, like every Sunday in the mid-80s as a young kid, I remember having about five, 6,000 people attend his, his church on, on a Sunday. And he had, a, he had probably two, three, I don't know, how, how many hundred thousands of followers uh, in Ghana, still a large organization. So my first memories, literally as a young boy, I remember being around five, six years old and uh, being a chubby kid lost in the crowd and uh, I'll never forget seeing this crippled woman crawling on the floor and she literally couldn't walk and she picks up the sand that this man walks on being my father and he wasn't aware he was just walking she wipes it on her face and stands up and the crowd erupts and and so I grew up around miracles and a lot of people might think really did that happen you know that's bullshit Mm -hmm. you're just making this up and I swear 
you know, I saw this stuff day after day, week after week. And I remember I would go to school and people, I would tell people, because I thought everyone had this experience. You know, mm-hmm. I thought this was just normal. And I'd go to school and tell my friends, matter of factly, and they told the teachers, and the teachers thought I was losing my mind. And until the teacher came to my desk church and saw people having these experiences, my father would look at, let's say, a woman in a wheelchair uh, on a Sunday at his church, and he would say, Why are you in this wheelchair? Stand up. Or a person would come in with crutches. Why do you have these crutches? Stand up. Do you believe? And the person would say, yes, I do believe. Then why do you have these crutches? Why are you in this wheelchair? Stand up. And this would go back and forth for about 10 minutes, five minutes, however long it would take. And they would stand up. So uh, I grew up around these miracles. You know, age eight, uh, I started speaking in my father's churches. He threw me. Uh, you know, I, I was, even though I, I was, I grew up in this environment, I, uh, I was more interested in soccer, to be honest. And so I would play soccer in the lobby of the church. And one day I got dragged to the front row and made to sit in the front row. And so one day my father, uh, asked me to, uh, to speak and give the sermon and threw me on stage and no real preparation. Uh, I don't know what happened, but a, a sort of download came through this eight year old kid and uh, the crowd seemed to love it. And that you could say that's what started my speaking career mm-hmm. at, at, at age eight. And so I became very, very obsessed, you know. So really, I would say how my, my father's, you know, background and my mother being very involved, very spiritual as well. My father kind of grew up in a sort of metaphysical, spiritual, Christian-based, but non-denominational philosophy. My mother was Buddhist. This very spiritual background, I think, set the tone for me to become uh, really focused. And I was obsessed from a very young age, eight, nine, uh, on the questions of, you know, why are we here and who am I and what's the purpose of life and why do some people seem to have everything and, and, and seem to be miserable? And why do some people, even though they have nothing in places like Ghana and India and uh, some of the third world countries, why are some of these people who don't seem to have anything seem to be fulfilled and content and happy? And so uh, this became uh, an obsession. And I would go to school as a young boy. I'd I hated school because I felt like school didn't really teach me much about living, about who I am, about life. I was learning geography and information, all this kind of stuff that I didn't feel would be any use to me. And so I would come home from school, do my homework and literally uh, get my homework done in a couple of hours and probably from eight to midnight every night from when I was as young as I can remember, I would devour self-help books, spiritual books. My first self-help book was uh, by a woman called Shakti Gawain and uh, creative visualization and kind of awakened to the power of, wow, we, we get to control our reality by the thoughts we think and, and started reading everyone from the likes of uh, Marian Williamson and Wayne Dyer and uh, <clears throat> Dennis Waitley, Brian Tracy, People like Jay Krishnamurti and Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, Ramana Maharishi, uh, became uh, from the Eastern traditions, and so uh, this this was my passion. I would I was just I, w- I was literally so obsessed with, you know, with this sort of field of trying to understand one, myself. I'd be riding the train to school as a teenager, literally reading spiritual books on my way to school, reading, walking from the train station to school, uh, listening to you know Tony Robbins Power Talk tapes, Jim Rohn all audio tapes on my way back from school and uh so this was my passion you know so spirituality self-help has been my been a real passion of mine and i always knew i wanted to go into this field and uh i didn't quite know how when i was 14 uh, my father announced to his congregation, quite unbeknownst to me, that I would be taking over his spiritual organization and uh, I, I guess i 
I didn't really know any other way, so I went along with it. But I knew in my heart that something wasn't quite right. I knew in my heart that this wasn't my path. This it just it, it just you know that feeling when something doesn't quite feel aligned. But uh, I, I was too afraid to say anything to my father, and he announced the to to the congregation in front of five thousand people. My son is taking over, and um, my heart sank. Uh, because I felt the misalignment of what he was saying. And I was afraid that if I confronted my father, if I told him the truth, if I if I expressed my authentic self, that he wouldn't love me, that I'd be outcast, that I'd lose my relationship, that I'd be outcast from the community, that I didn't want to rock the boat because I'd be letting people down, I'd be alone, you could say, for the rest of my life. And, and so uh, I didn't say anything and uh, went along with it. Um, and for four years, I think there was a, in a turmoil that I faced because I think when, 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 when you know the truth and I think many times we, 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 we have a sense of our truth. Maybe the truth is oh, I'm in a relationship and it's, it's no longer right for me or, or a marriage is no longer quite aligned or I'm in a job that I hate and I'm compromising my integrity, but I'm, I'm afraid to, I'm afraid to leave because how will I survive? So I think many times we know, a deeper sense of truth of, of what we feel of what's required for the, our next step but we're often afraid and, and that fear is what stops us and so for me uh, the fear stopped me from saying anything and took me four years uh, to muster up the courage and every day I would think about it every day I would uh, sit in my room reading these books of people like uh, Wayne Dyer and Louise Hay and, and something happened I, I, I started reading people like Deepak Chopra and Tony Robbins as a, as a 13, 14 year old i remember seeing a new way i thought wow here are some here are some people with a positive message and they're not teaching through an organizational structure of let's say a church or religion and and that opened my eyes and then i read a man um called krishnamurti jay krishnamurti you may have heard of him mm -hmm. and uh, i could really relate to krishnamurti's um, life. He was being groomed to be the head of the Theosophy Society and you could say a, an enlightened world teacher and it, I could kind of relate to, to to the expectations that he felt and when he was 29 he left everything behind and so when I read his book uh, and some of his books I just knew you know that feeling of oh shit the truth the truth bomb has hit me I just knew what I had to do and uh, when I was 17 mustered up the courage I looked into my future and I literally saw I could take two paths and I think life is uh, a series of choices basically I chose not to go to university and uh, which was you know not the most popular decision I was probably out of a class of like 100 to 120, uh, uh, you could say high school kids, uh, I was maybe one of two that didn't. And it was just the expected thing, you know, and and uh, it was it was a it was a tough moment in my life um, to really own my truth and own my soul and own my knowing and literally go into the unknown without any guarantee and I think we're constantly looking for a guarantee the mind is is always seeking to to, to kind of uh, for a sense of uh, of comfort a, a guarantee you know a certain prediction into the future and there is no guarantee and so uh, I decided to take the risk and I had a conversation with my father and I told my father one day um, 
I'll never forget that day. I, that, for me, that was like going to my execution, you know, and I, I literally sat by the, my father's not the type of guy you, you, you have a conversation with, you know, it's like old school, his way or the highway. And uh, I'd seen it happen before where he just, just shut people down and kick people out of his life because they didn't agree with him. So I figured the same was going to happen, but I made peace with that. I, I, I literally had to let go of my father, release my father and, uh, own my path. And I had a conversation with him, told him I wouldn't, wasn't going to be taking over his churches. He simply said, are you sure? And I said, yes. He said, are you really sure? I said, yes. And that was it, you know, and, uh, cut a long story short. Uh, I ended up winning a green card in the lottery and that's what brought me to the u.s and uh you know went and found teachers and mentors and for me that moment was so important because i was in this void and i made this decision i felt like i took this leap and all of a sudden i'm just flying in midair you know i i i I'd left the known and now i'm flying in midair without any idea of where i'm going just following this impulse in my soul and 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 what i found is you know uh, uh sometimes what's required of us isn't always convenient and and so i was definitely being stretched outside of my comfort zone and and so one day i i said a prayer to the universe and that prayer was universe i feel this i feel this calling i feel this impulse i feel this vision I feel this dream in my heart. Don't leave me hanging in midair, like help. And uh, literally someone hands, hands me a magazine called The Economist. And I'd never read The Economist, Economist magazine before, but I, fig- I felt this kind of chill in my being. Like there's a reason. I look in the back, it says the American government is giving away 55,000 green cards in the green card lottery. And that's when I knew that there was some uh, greater intelligence than my own limited self. There was some intelligence of life, force of nature, call it God, consciousness, you know, infinite intelligence, whatever label you want to put on it. Something was unfolding my life that was bigger than me, that was that 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 had a knowing. And when I read about this green car lottery thing, I just had this knowing of destiny. And so I applied and I ended up winning and came to America with two suitcases. And you know, one in the country, about a thousand dollars in my pocket, one suitcase full of clothes, uh, one suitcase full of, you know, inspirational spiritual books and tapes and, and, uh, began my journey and went and found teachers and authors and mentors and traveled. And I mean, I mean, I could go on and on, but, uh, that's kind of what, what, uh, what, what kind of how I began, but I would say my, my parents, the foundation that my parents and what they did, uh, you know, and I would say for, for me, what I observed with my parents, it wasn't so much like the, my dad didn't have a job. What he had was a, was a mission. What he had was a calling and he was, his entire life was, was in service to something bigger than himself. And I think that has really impacted me because even doing what I do now, which is traveling and speaking and training and you know inspiring people in in some sense not that different from what my dad does just a different form a different structure for maybe a newer generation Uh, i've always felt for me you know what i do is not uh i didn't get into it for money it was it's not about being famous it was always about how can i serve people how can i serve humanity and so i've always been uh very driven in the same way as my parents to uh be of service to humanity and I've, I've always felt a deep sense of purpose and like I can't not do what I do you know I, I so I don't feel like I have a goal or I have a vision I it's more a sense of this feeling of 
this vision has me, you know, this goal has me. And I feel like I've always felt over the years uh, that that I am a vessel and a vehicle for life to express through. Wow. Okay. So many questions come from this. You know, uh, the thing, one, I'm curious, do you remember what the content of the first sermon was when you gave, uh, when you were eight years old? And the other Mm -hmm. question is that, you know, that's a really sort of strange age to be exploring these deeper uh, questions, you know, like maybe kids do it and I don't realize it. And it it makes me think about this because I'm a surfer and to me, surfing is very much a spiritual practice, but there's so many people who surf as kids. And I wonder if for them, it's this sort of spiritual practice or is this, this, you know, really fun activity because the idea that it's a spiritual practice is kind of beyond their comprehension at that age. So how did your answers Mm -hmm. to these questions change over time and what was the first? Um, how did they, they change with yeah. what was the content of the first sermon yeah I, I, the content of the first sermon so I had just read believe it or not creative visualization this is pre-secret obviously the secret book which is your thoughts create your reality the law of attraction and so Shakti Gawain wrote this book you know in probably in the 80s and, and it became quite popular and so as a kid, I read this book like, wow, you can think thoughts and good things happen. And it was very simple, right? But for me, as a, you know, as an eight-year-old kid, it was revolutionary. And so I just read this book. And so my first sermon, what I kind of remember, but I don't really remember because when I speak, it, it, it's happened literally ever since age eight, is I, I, I sort of dissolve and just something comes through me. It's like I'm not going to say channeling, but it feels like I'm a vessel. But what I kind of remember is is speaking to something about how thoughts, your thoughts, you know, create create your your reality. Thoughts have energy, and so think positive thoughts. And and it was kind of in that, and I was trying to fit that into the framework of where you place your atten- where you place your attention is where energy flows. And so I remember what I do remember is giving this analogy. There's there's a, um, a story in the Bible of Jesus when he had to feed the 5,000 people. And, uh, you know, he's feeding the 5,000. He's speaking to a group of people, maybe 5,000, however many thousand people. And in the story, there's this kind of a moment where, where obviously I'm paraphrasing, but there's a moment where his disciples say, yo, Jesus, uh, people are a little hungry. They've been here for a few hours. We, we have to feed the people. And, and so uh, uh, the story I told was, you know, how Jesus didn't, like freak out or get worried. <clears throat> there was a line in the Bible that I read, and and that line went something like, "Jesus turned his eyes to the hills. He turned his eyes upwards to the hills." And for me, as, I, I don't know. I just kind of, as a young kid, I kind of made an interpretation connected to creative visualization, the book of of what that meant for me was he he didn't look. At the problems, he didn't look at the current situation for a sense of faith or possibility. Turning his eyes to the hills, he 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 transcended his current level of consciousness. He he literally shifted his focus, which is what I remember saying. He shifted his focus to a higher level, and at that higher level, his focus was not on the limited resources, was on something else beyond himself. And that's that 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 move, that inner focus, is what enabled him to be open to miracles. And so I was kind of sharing something like that from my best understanding, you know, as an, as an eight year old kid at the time. And so, uh, yeah. So for me, I forget your second, yeah, the second question. Yeah, I mean, how did your exploration and inquiry into these questions evolve with age? Because I, I think it would, I'd imagine with age, it changes quite a bit. Yeah. You know, I mean, <clears throat> honestly, I think 
as a young boy, I was asking myself the questions of who am I and why am I here and what's the purpose of my life and what's the meaning of life. But, but you know, as I got older, they were actually some of the same questions. <laughs> you know, just my maybe my understanding, my 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 the nuances, the deepening uh, of my understanding of those questions and the answers. You know, matured and deepened. But the questions I asked at age eight and age ten. Who am I? Were the same questions I asked at 22 and 32. Who who am I? And what am I? And where am I? And what is the nature of, of, of reality? And so the questions, what I found is, were simple questions, were eternal questions, questions that people have asked for many, 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 many years, you know? And so I just, I would say my understanding uh, and realizations of what I came to, uh, the more I had certain experiences were no longer just based on like as a kid, what I read from Krishnamurti or, or Maharishi Mashyogi or another, you know, another teacher or guru. But I started to have different experiences. Like when I went to India, I had different experience. I remember being in India, you know, I, like there was a moment where in my life, in my early 20s somewhere, where I was just, I was, I, I was tired of reading other people's experiences. I was tired of reading what Chopra was saying, what this person was saying, what that guru, I, like, I, I just wanted to have my own experience of like, who am I really? Okay, that person says you are consciousness. What the hell is consciousness? You know, that person says you are not just the body, you are infinite. Well, what is that? I really wanted to know for myself. And so I literally packed everything, packed my bags, uh, sold everything, broke up with my girlfriend, decided I was not going to come back to the West until I found certain answers, certain truths for myself beyond just reading and information. I wanted answers, not just ask, ask the questions. And so I traveled, traveled to uh, northern Spain, walked the Camino 900 kilometers, traveled to Thailand, studied with monks, traveled to, <clears throat> to places like Bali and Japan and Israel, ended up in India, of course, like any spiritual, any good spiritual seeker <laughs> ends up in India. And it's, it is the Mecca. And so I ended up in India and I started hanging with gurus and teachers and Siddha yogis and, you know, all sorts of, uh, you know, yoga masters. And, and, and uh, one day I literally found myself, I never forget, I found myself in Rishikesh and every day, I was, in, I was probably living in Rishikesh for like a month and every day I'd go jogging on the banks of the Ganges and I literally, like I wanted to be like a real amazing spiritual practitioner. So I'd go bathe in the Ganges, you know, which I would not advise to everyone listening. <laughs> but I would go bathe in the Ganges and I remember I'd, I'd hang out in this little cave where there were all these bubbas, you know, and, and I felt like very, I felt like a true yogi. And, and one day, I uh, went for my run, bathed in the Ganges, sat, meditated overlooking the Ganges. And I had this, I don't know what to call it, but like I had this experience where I'll never forget, I was looking at the river, the Ganges River. The Ganges River flows from a very, uh, from, from a source, you know, high up in the, in, in, in the Himalayas, uh, Gangotri, Gamuk. It flows from a little drop a little drop flows then into into a bigger sort of stream and it flows from one source in one direction and for me that the symbology of like we we all come from the same source and we all are flowing in a similar direction and so while i was sitting there it was like having this multi-dimensional in, inner experience of feeling humanity feeling us all feeling life as this 
river like we all one river and i was looking at the river and i and i saw all these waves undulating and i felt like we are all these seven billion six billion however many billion at the time but we all let's say now 7.2 billion waves part of the one ocean of life the one tapestry of one consciousness that is flowing flowing through and as us all and i remember looking at this river thinking wow i'm i'm one wave over here and you're one wave over there and you know oprah's one wave over there and this person we're all one river really and where does one wave begin and where does one wave end and i saw these waves crashing into each other it's like we're all like merging and interdependent interconnected there's no real separation and it was literally like i just had this experience and i looked up and it, it, it was like all of um everything physical you know the mountains and and the people everything was just like it, it was a trip man it was like everything was just this this energetic super fluid you know motion like thing and i felt like the the energetic of all of life and how there was no separation between me you anything and anyone we're all just one river of humanity just oneness being lived and breathed by the one consciousness there's only one of us here and i remember just feeling just this this internal expansion of of love just such profound love just like crying you know and and uh and so that experience uh, was one of several experiences I had on that journey. It, it, it just, it was like, it, it was no longer information for me of just reading, you know, like, who am I? It, it was like this deeper connected understanding that what I am is everything. What I am is nothing. What I am is you, that there is no separation between me, you, you know, Donald Trump, Oprah, the beggar on the street. We're all being lived, functioned and breathed by the one life, the one river, the one consciousness. We are one stream of energy, different waves manifesting, but no separation. You know, I breathe out and all of my molecules, you breathe in. And, and, and it's just, you know, I eat food from, from a cow or a vegetable and that becomes part of my body. And it's just... It was just this incredible, uh, like everything I'd been reading just came together in one moment. And I just, there was an awakening of love in that inherent realization for me, because I had it intellectually, but in that experience of, uh, of oneness, there was a depth of love that opened up in feeling that there is no separation. And so for me, that, that, that really shifted everything, you know, and, and the question, uh, and the answer, you could say the question and the answer dissolved into one. Subtle results, still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Running a business is hard. 
but your email marketing doesn't have to be. With AWeber's easy-to-use email marketing platform, you can stay connected with your audience, write new content faster, sell more, and grow your business, all without having to become an expert in yet another business tool. Start today at aweber.com slash podcast. That's A-W-E-B-E-R dot com slash podcast. Aweber, simpler email marketing. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age, led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Wow. You know, there's another uh, thing that really struck my attention that you mentioned, and there's this notion of, of, you know, having the courage to own your path, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when you approached your father. Yep. And one of the things that it made me think is, okay, you know, all of us have this desire, I think, deep down to own our path. And how do you let go of the need for external validation um, at the same time you choose to own your path? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a tough one, right? Yeah. It, it definitely is, is, is a tough one. Um, how do you let go of the need of external validation? Um, I would just say you let it go. Or what I'll share is for me, when I looked at my path, when I looked at the expected path, because look, there's no shortage of people that will tell you who you should be and what you should live. And, and, and so I say, you cannot live an authentic life living someone else's life. You cannot live an authentic life um, being someone that you're not. And so when I looked at that path, the expected path, the path, the, the path that everyone expected in terms of, you know, being normal, I, I just, it was a death for me. You know, I felt the pain of that of that death and the death of my own souls betraying itself. And uh, that really shook me up. 
you know, that really, really shook me up. And so when I looked at my future, when I looked at the trajectory of, wow, I could be successful by everyone else's, everyone else's standards. But if I don't have myself, if I don't have who I am 10 years, five years, 20 years from now, uh, what kind of life is that? You know, and, and, and so allowing myself to feel the pain of that reality for me is what shook me up. Like it, it, it was, it, it was like looking five years, ten years, twenty years, thirty. Like no, it, it, if I kept going down, I'm going to say an inauthentic path down a wrong path, then I might build and create. But now I'm just going, you could say, faster in the wrong direction, and 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 uh, and the pain of that was so. You know, I think what we sometimes do is, I think sometimes we know we're not on the, we're not living an authentic path, and we often feel that but we try to distract distract ourselves you know we 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 try to well something's a little off here this relationship's not quite right and 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 but oh shit if i if i really own my truth uh what what will happen what's what i might have to break up what's the consequences and because we don't want to deal with those consequences uh some many times we don't allow ourselves to feel deeply we don't allow ourselves to feel the pain we don't allow ourselves to to feel the truth and so we distract ourselves we work it away we sex it away we shop it away we we you know sometimes we're living i kind of give this analogy we're living in a prison you know and rather than trying to get free of the prison we we kind of manipulate and create our lives to 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 sort of get better prison food so we can feel more comfortable in the prison that we've built and so uh there's a few questions that i've you could say refined and have asked myself that for me has helped me uh stay get free break free that might be valuable for those listening uh, i think deep down we all know the truth we all know the truth. Like if someone put a gun to your head right now, if you had a dilemma or a challenge or a relationship issue, like I'm not sure what to do about this person. I don't, I don't know if this is right for me. If someone put a gun to your head or the person you love the most and said, tell me the truth about this situation. Tell me what you know. Within 10 seconds, you would likely say, here's the truth. And I think we're afraid to own that truth simply because of the consequences. So there's four questions I, I'm, I'm continually asking myself. Number one is, uh, where am I lying to myself? What lies am I telling myself? Uh, what am I pretending to not know? It's kind of all one question. What am I pretending to not know? Because many times we, we pretend that we don't know. You know, we play this game of... Um, I, I, I'm not so sure. I, I, I'm confused. I, I don't really know. But deep down, we do know. I always say there's a part of us deep down that knows everything because at that deepest level of soul, of, of consciousness, that deeper intelligence, there is a part of us that knows everything because at the deepest level, we are everything. And I think it's just about having the courage to own that knowing. And what I found is to own that knowing is profound responsibility. To own that knowing is profound power. When we truly own our knowing, we can no longer say, uh, it's his fault or it's her fault. We can no longer be the victim. And so sometimes I think we're afraid of that power. So, so asking oneself, what, where, where am I lying to myself? What am I pretending to not know? The second question I'm constantly asking myself throughout the day, too, is, is uh, what is this lie costing me? What is telling this lie? What is, what is not, not living my authentic truth? What is it costing me? So if you are, let's say, living you know, for external validation – 
if you're living to get someone's to like you and 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 love you and for their validation it's okay but I, I just just start by feeling okay what is what is it costing me if you really feel the pain of what it's costing you the lie the untruth the inauthenticity living for someone else just let yourself feel it we're often afraid to let ourselves feel it so we're numbing ourselves from truly feeling the pain the cost the consequences of 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 the of the inauthenticity and so i think when you really feel it i say the truth burns the truth burns and it might be just saying to yourself i hate my job I'm done saying, well, it's okay. It's not bad. Maybe I can. No, no, I hate my job. It is totally out of alignment with my integrity. But I'm afraid to leave it. I'm afraid to leave it because I don't know how I'm going to survive. So I'm going to stay doing this job that 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 kills my soul. Something happens when you vocalize and you speak the truth without judgment because we're always sometimes we're judging well I can't say that because it doesn't sound like what I should be saying. But if you just let yourself say the truth without judgment and be with the truth and hear the truth it's like pulling back the curtain there's no going back it's like coming out it's, then the truth burns. And even if you don't do anything about it, or even if you don't take specific action, let go of a relationship, let go of the person, leave your job, even if you don't do something about it in the moment, just feeling the truth and speaking the truth and feeling it consistently, it's like the truth burns. It's a fire that burns inside. And I, I, I like to say then your head is in the tiger's mouth and it's only a matter of time until something starts stirring and moving till hopefully it's unbearable enough until you either have too much pain until you are suffering enough until you realize you know this is this is this is not worth it i i listened to a very interesting quote one time from an interview with the dalai lama you know the dalai lama mr compassion they asked him what do you wish for the western world what do you wish for the west and i thought he's going to say being the dalai lama love peace joy he says i wish the west more suffering. I thought, whoa, I wish the West more suffering. And what I realized in that moment was how compassionate that was, because sometimes, not all the time, you know, it, it's by feeling our pain, it's by, it's by feeling more suffering, then we get to a point finally where we say no, no more. No more living for anyone else. No more living someone else's life. No more living my life to try and get external validation and, and approval. And the, the truth ultimately is you can't please everyone. Look, there were people that, that didn't like Gandhi. There were people that didn't like Mother Teresa. I mean, how can you not like Mother Teresa? She, she's just the saint. But there were people that didn't like them. So, the, so there's always going to be people that don't like who you are. And what I found is is, you know, people's opinions of you reveal more about themselves than it does about you. It's their reality. It's not necessarily the reality. And so uh, once I realized that, 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 that often people's opinions are, are a process of constantly projecting their opinions based on their own evolution, their own perception, their own path, their own level of consciousness, their own conditioning on me, that it has more to do with them than it does about me, that, that freed me up completely. And there was one, uh, one great book that, that uh, I'll never forget. It was called 
and I read this as a kid, and this really helped me in terms of that time as well, in terms of letting go of, of what people think about me and, and external validation is it went something like what other people think about, about you is none of your business. What other people think about you is none of your it's – really, it's really their stuff. And so the fourth question, uh, I'll share this real quick, is um, in terms of like really getting in touch with the truth, one's authenticity, is really looking at, okay, by telling the truth, by being who I authentically am, what is it I'm afraid of? What is it I'm most afraid will happen? What's, what's, what's my fear? And I found that if you can face your worst case scenario, if you can just face it, like I'm afraid my dad will never speak to me again. That was my fear. Like we will never have a relationship. That's it. There came a point where I had to face it. I had to face it completely and make peace with it. When I made peace with my worst fear, something freed up. I was no longer run by it. I was no longer held hostage to it. I was no longer hijacked by it. And many times the, the reality of the worst fear that you have by being yourself, by being truthful, by living authentically, the reality is nowhere close to the, the, the fear is no, nowhere close to the reality of what will actually happen. And so you find that your, the, the mind, as human beings, our mind being these creative things, the mind is always kind of strategizing and protecting and survival-based. The mind is, is often creates this negative future fantasy about all the possible things that might not go wrong, might not happen, all the possible things, not based on reality, but just based on its own projection into the future. And many of those things we stress out, stress out ourselves out about that create paralysis in the moment never happen you know maybe at least 90 percent of the things we freak ourselves out about never happen and so uh, so just facing the fear making peace with the fear then gives you the ability to i think it frees you up to take your power back um okay that person won't like me okay let, let me let me actually make peace with that they, that person will reject me they won't like me feel that experience that like just just be with that fear cry if you need to experience it and make peace with that when you make peace with that there's i, I found there's a tremendous there's a tremendous freedom you know and and so i think that when you try to be who you think people want you to be then you end up in a trap and even when people love who you are pretending to be deep down you know the friendship, the connection, the loving isn't truly real. There's a part of us that knows it's not real because we we know we're not being who we truly are. So I say if you want to find out who your friends really are, if you want to find out who really loves you, not kind of loves you, not says that. If you want to find out who your authentic friends and relationships really are, it's very simple. Just be yourself. Yes, you will lose a ton of people. Yes, you will lose a whole bunch of so-called friends. But like those people weren't true friends in the first place. They were just in love with the illusion and the mask that you thought you needed to be in order to get love, validation and approval. And so the last thing I'll say is in terms of like feeling into the truth, living authentically is is just looking at and asking yourself, because sometimes you can get so focused on the fear, is what, what amazing thing might happen by being myself? What amazing thing might happen by speaking the truth, by telling the truth, by being who I am? And uh, yes, you might lose a relationship, but you'll, you'll, you'll create 
uh, you'll create space within yourself. You'll create space within your life to attract a whole new level of people, situations and experiences that will be much more of, of a vibrational match and an alignment with your authentic self. You know, um, one of the, the really core ideas that, that struck me about the book was this notion of, of, you know, you being the one and nobody coming to your rescue, which really to me kind of was this notion that nothing external is going to be the source of your well-being or your happiness, um, which, you know, I think we all understand that intellectually, and yet we seek out all of these things, um, you know, whether it's accomplishment, whether it's success, whether it's love. And, you know, I, I'm curious, why is that, um, despite, you know, what we know about it? And, and it's funny because I've heard so many people in, in sort of a, a you know, spiritual teacher capacity say, you know, it's, it's when you don't need these things that you get all of them. This is this very strange sort of paradox of letting go. When you let go, you get everything you want, but you can't let go in the hopes that you'll get everything you want. Mm. I would say, you know, when you let go, you don't necessarily get everything you want. Mm. You know, I think that's an illusion, actually, that 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 many times self-help teachers will pimp out to just become popular. And I don't think it's true. You may not get everything you want. The question becomes, who are you? Who is the you that wants that thing? And I think if we don't if we're not really in touch with 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 who we are, then you, you might chase a whole bunch of things based on the illusion of who you think you are and only to and you might even achieve some of the things, the house, the car, the fame, the et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, what they just fill in the blank, the yacht, the watch, the whatever it is, only to realize, wait a second. Is this all? Is this it? I got what I thought I wanted. I got, key question, key underline, I got what I thought I wanted, what I thought was going to make me happy, what I thought was going to bring me security, what I thought was going to bring me love and, and value and a sense of self-worth, and I'm still miserable. Now, when that happens, you're really screwed in the best possible way. When that happens, that's when I think the real spiritual journey begins. When you got everything that you thought you wanted and you're still not happy, then it, then, then, then it can, then you can go into depression or it can force you deeper. And so I say you might get everything you thought you wanted based on who you thought you were, but if you're not in touch with who you really are, your real self, then what you thought you wanted isn't going to be what you really wanted. It's just going to be what you thought you wanted based on who you thought you were based on your conditioning. And so just the analogy I give is, is, and that's why I think many times just helping people, you know, get what you want, which is very appealing to the ego, get what you want, which is very appealing to, to, you know, the, the egoic self. Oh, get what I want, be more famous, be more, you know, make more money. Wow, 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 wow. Yes. Yeah. But, but I, I think there's an illusion there because just helping people get more of what you want, I think is, is, is very limited. So here's, here's kind of, and let me, let me backtrack. Here's an analogy I kind of give. When, when we're born as children, you look at a child. You look into a child's eyes. A child is, I mean, you look into a child's eyes. We're talking like when they're, when they're like really new, when they're you know, in months. They're, they're, there's a, there's, they're, they're in touch with, there's a light coming from them. They're in touch with divinity. They're in touch with source, essence, just life. Something is magical. I think the most hardened criminal could look into a baby's eyes and melt, you know. Uh, uh, something beautiful about a child, and, and, and that child has an innocence. They, they remind us of ourselves, who we were, what we were 
But what the hell happens? Before you know it, we end up 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years old. What happened? A child will jump on the table and and sing and dance and love. It doesn't really care who you are so much. It, it's just full of light. A child doesn't care. Am I fat? What do you think of me? You know, uh, I, I can't really sing like Bruno Mars or Celine Dion. It's just freely expressing itself. It cries. It shits. It, it, it's just like full free expression of life moving through this child unrestricted well, what what happens a couple of things happens that i think will also tie into your question so this child so we're, we're free we're whole we're complete we're alive you know we're just fully expressed then we're born and then over the course of months we obviously meet our parents and our parents are just doing the best that they can do based on their life based on their pain based on their hurt based on their conditioning right that have been passed down from their programming that's been passed down from generations their parents their grandparents on and on and on and on and on and before you know they they impose that on us and now we're in an environment dealing with our parents who are doing the best that they can do but also you know maybe there's we're in an environment of abuse divorce hurt pain some some of us have been through some very intense experiences some of us you know not so intense but still we all have stuff maybe our parents just went around maybe they was just emotional neglect but they were very nice whatever it was high or low we all have certain experiences so two things happen as children we slowly learn uh a, 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 a sort of survival strategy to disconnect from the pain of our experience, our environment, not having certain needs met, not being enough, not being loved. You know, we're often not loved. Uh, we often don't feel loved totally unconditionally. So so we, we start learning all sorts of strategies to disconnect from the pain of our environment. And we start shutting down parts of ourselves, parts of our feeling capacity just to function, survive and, and, and not get overwhelmed and deal with our experience then we go into life parents um, caretakers school and we start learning who do I need to be in order to to get love who do I need to be in order for my dad to love me maybe as children we were like really loud and freely expressed and 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 and, and maybe your dad said be quiet shut up children need to be you know seen and not heard or or we were mocked or 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 we were we, just whatever it is something occurred and so we started to, to to learn we started to contort ourselves and and who do i need to be to get love validation for me growing up um uh, it, it, growing up in the church growing up with the kind of father i had growing up in this environment with all these expectations i became the good boy the nice boy you know the, the yes person the polite one so we start adapting and and contorting ourselves and developing all sorts of personas and 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 developing all sorts of masks and strategies to fit in to be loved to be liked to be validated and then that often gets reinforced and so we keep doing it we keep doing it, and we start developing all sorts of masks you know that that uh, that we then hold very tightly onto a way of avoiding pain but also a way of getting love and then we we kind of hold very tightly onto that way of being we contort ourselves hold, hold tightly onto that and it becomes our identity and the more it gets reinforced it becomes our identity and it, it, it becomes who we think, keyword who we think that we are, not necessarily who we really, really are. And before you know it, we're locked into a, a, 
a sort of false persona of who we think we are, disconnected from our true selves, disconnected from our authentic selves. And inside of that, we, you know, maybe this insecurity and this pain and this hurt and this neglect and, and all this stuff. And so now this is who we think we are based on this identity. Uh, sadly, we, we end up going into the world doing relationships, making choices, obviously, the degree to which we are conditioned. Yeah, many times we don't realize that we're conditioned. We don't realize that we are programmed. We, we often say, oh, people often say to me all the time, my clients say, good, oh, I have free will. Yeah, but the degree to which we're conditioned is also the degree to which we don't have the ability to choose freely. We're being run by our past conditioning and programming. I mean, Lord knows if we were to look at our our choices, if we were to take relationships as an example, I think we've all had, you know, many different kinds of relationships and even romantic relationships. I mean, I look at some of the first relationships I had and I think to myself, whoa, was I was I really choosing? Did I really choose that? I can't believe I chose that, you know, and and, and, and so I think many times we're not choosing. We are being run by our conditioning that we're not even aware of truly. And so based on that, uh, then are the goals that we say we want really what we want? Many times the goals that we set, many times what we think we want, the life we think we want to create, who we think we want to be in relationship with, who we think we need to be, who we think we need to be with in, in love and relationship, what we think we're attracted to, who we think we're attracted to, isn't necessarily authentic. Many times there's a, you know, based on this, this, this being locked in this, this illusory, inauthentic self, uh, uh, we're, we're being run by an impulse, certain, certain needs that weren't met that we're trying to now meet in the world. Like, wow, I wasn't fully accepted and loved by my, by my parents in some way. I wasn't fully accepted and loved growing up. And now I think, wow, if I can be famous, or I can be on television uh, and get everyone to love me, or I can just be a certain way, and 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 then I can get what I didn't. Th then I can get fulfilled out here in the world, certain needs that weren't really fulfilled inside. And I said, and and so when we can realize that, and become conscious of that, then I think we can begin to become aware, take a step back, and find uh, simple and authentic ways to truly. Uh, uncondition ourselves by becoming aware, find ways to feel the pain of many of the things that we learn to suppress and also find ways to truly, you know, it sounds cliche, but truly accept ourselves and love ourselves and meet those needs and heal those parts of ourselves that didn't get certain needs met that now we need to, that we, now we think we need to meet in the world that will never be met in the world. And, uh, uh, and so I think when we truly can start healing ourselves and loving ourselves, uh, then then we take our power back. Then we start gaining a sense of internal freedom within ourselves where we no longer need, you know, it out there. We no longer need it. Then we start becoming whole and reconnecting with our with our true wholeness and internal power. Then I think we're that much more able to go into the world and love fully go into the world and give our gifts go into the world and 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 share our purpose because it's not so much about well what what do you think about me do you love me do you know it's just more about this is who i am mm -hmm. from this place of acceptance from this place of peace this place of internal equilibrium we're now free to give who we are and i think being who you are 
is authentically being who you are is perhaps one of the greatest gifts you can give the world. Mm, wow. You know, I'm curious, um, what differentiates people who are unable or who are able to, you know, undo their past conditioning and programming from those who aren't? Mm. Um, <clears throat> I would say different things, you know, I've worked with many, many sorts of people over the, I mean, I've worked with thousands of people over the last 15 years. Uh, there is one thing, it's going to sound very simple. Um, there is one thing I've seen that, that makes a difference in terms of people transforming and it is commitment. Sounds simple. It's, it's, it's commitment. Having worked with thousands of people one-on-one, -on -one, seminars, large, small groups, uh, people don't change unless they want to. People don't transform unless they are truly, truly committed. Many times we say that we want to transform. Many times we say that we want to shift. And we kind of want to, but we're not radically committed to why? Because maybe we're comfortable, you know, we're comfortable or we're, as I talked about, we're a little afraid of all the consequences. If I, if I change, if I really shift, that might mean the end of my relationship or what, who, who will I be? Or if I really change my way of being, then the way I've gotten love from society and the world, I, that won't happen anymore. So, so there's often payoffs that we have for staying stuck. There's often payoffs that we have for staying who we, for being who we've been our entire lives because those ways of being have actually worked for us. I often say, look, underlying every behavior, even if it's not serving us, even if it limits us, many of the, many of the behaviors and ways of being that, 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 uh, uh, that we often do now that limit us, they they worked for us when we were five. They worked for us when we were 10. They worked for us when we were, when we were 15 and 18. But often we reach a point at 25, 30, 40, 50, when those ways of being no longer work. They actually end up limiting us. But underlying every behavior is a positive intention. We learned at a very young age a certain way of being to try and get to avoid pain, to, to get love, to get certain needs met. So there's a positive intention there. And so I think it's important if someone doesn't is stuck in some reason, it's so easy to beat ourselves up. Oh, what's wrong with me? Gosh, I read this book and I know I should do it. And the book says step one, step two, step three, but I'm still not changing. So I think it's important to really have compassion for oneself. To me, healing, true healing is the application of love to ourselves. And so it's important in the process of transformation to hold yourself with compassion, to hold yourself with loving. And even if you, you say, could I just can't hold myself with loving, then then hold your hold, hold the fact that you can't hold yourself with loving, with loving. Even hold that with loving. You know, even be patient with your impatience. Be patient with that. Love yourself through that. Because for me, the real issue isn't the issue, the real issue is how you relate with yourself as you go through the issue. The real issue is not, not even can you change or can you not change, but how can you be with the process of your changing or not changing? And as you can love yourself through that, a, I think it creates a space that transformation can happen. And so look at 
okay, if I'm not shifting, what are the payoffs that I have for staying stuck? What are the payoffs that I have for not transforming? You know, I make people sometimes just tell the truth, you know, like I'm big on the truth. So, own. why do I not want to change? People say, but I do want to change. No, no, I understand you do want to change. But tell me, why do you not want to change? Tell me all the reasons why you absolutely would not want to shift. I kind of make that people do that exercise when they come to my events before we even start. Tell me all the reasons before we start this weekend. Tell me all the reasons before we start this 12-day retreat. Why you would not change? And I make people kind of like out themselves. And when they out themselves, they can see what their internal resistances are. And most of those internal resistances and blockages we have are for a good reason. And when you can recognize that, then you can work with that. Then you can, you know, be negotiate with those parts of yourselves and uh, and start developing a kind of inner cooperation. So, what's really important is 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 a commitment. And what I found is, if you truly want to shift, if you truly are committed, the question I ask people is, what do you want more than anything else? What do you want more than anything else? If you're listening to this conversation and you're saying, I really would like to shift, i like to shift is not enough. There's lots of people that would like to lose weight and like to be different. What do you want more? This is a question I asked myself years ago. What do I want more than anything else? Anything else. Because if you want to shift and you want to transform more than anything else, shifts will happen. You'll begin to align your actions, your thoughts, and your thinking to be consistent with the intention that you have. It's like if I took your if I took some if I took your head and stuck it underwater, and I held your you held your head underwater for let's say you know a minute. Uh, you might be alive, but you probably would still be fighting for air. And I said, hey, would you uh, would you like a chocolate? Would you like a chocolate cake? Would you like a Lamborghini? Would you like uh, a private jet? Would you like uh, to be on the Oprah show? I mean, two minutes, your head's underwater. You wouldn't care about any of those things. The only thing likely you'd be caring about, you know, is air. So if I asked you if your head was underwater, what would you want more than anything else? Air. And we would fight for that air with every ounce of energy and intention. Every cell in our body would would fight for air. And so what I found is if you want to truly shift, if you want to truly transform, if you want to truly you know, break through more than anything else, to me, this is the foundation of what separates people that, that shift and don't shift. Mm. But many times we don't want to. We, 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 well, I could. I, 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 I'm in this relationship. You know, I, I'm not in love, but help me be happy. Uh, it, no. What do you want more than anything else? And so I would say start. How do you start? Start by telling the truth. Start by feeling the truth. You have to want the truth and want to be free more than you, ha- more than you want what you have. You have to want the truth and want freedom more than your comfort, more than the relationship, more than your job. You have to, if you want that more than anything else, transformation must and will happen. Mm. Okay, I have two final questions for you. Uh, awesome. 
one of the things that I know you spent quite a bit of time um, talking about in the book was the, the notion of presence. And presence comes up over and over again. And, it, you know, I was having a conversation with one of my friends yesterday about the importance of presence and how something was causing me a tremendous amount of anxiety. And, and she said, well, what do you like when you're not having that anxiety? I said present. And she's like, well, there's your answer. But the question is, how do you balance presence with the desire for accomplishment of our goals, our dreams, et cetera? Hmm. Um, well, you know, I, I'll speak for myself. Yeah. Um, for me, you know, the, uh, the old paradigm in terms of the accomplishment of goals, right, is, is, is we often ask ourselves the question, what do I want? And what do I want? And, you know, kind of we've we spoken in this interview about the whole what do I want and, and you might get everything you thought you wanted based on who you thought you were but it's not really what you want so obviously I think when you really uncondition yourself which is a process it's not like a quick technique it, it's a process it's a life process but the more you peel the layers away I think the more you connect to your authentic nature the more you connect to your authentic presence the more you are able to to simply be, the less you need to be defined by things outside of yourself. Now, sometimes that can be scary for the ego because we're like, oh shit, well, how, how am I gonna accomplish anything? How am I gonna be successful? How am I gonna be, you know? It's like, but the more you, I think, transform and are not driven by egoic insecurity and competition and division and duality, the, 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 the more you have a sense of peace inside, the more you actually connect with the true nature of your being that is presence and i think from that place of peace what i found is there's a tremendous freedom you're not strive you're not you're not doing this thing to try and get something out there that you don't have you are connected to you're connected to it already you're not trying to achieve that goal to try and get peace you're not trying to achieve that goal to try and get a sense of validation or enoughness you are that already and so from that foundation i think a tremendous freedom and power arises when you can move into life from already being you can move into life from already from the readiness of your presence and so for me the question shifts then from what do i want What's my goal? What's my goal? What's my goal? What do I want to achieve? What are my 10 steps goals? What am I going to, I'm just going to go out and crush it in the world to what is it that is seeking to express through me? And for me, a profound shift happened from trying to make my life happen and achieve these goals to then connecting with a deeper level of my authentic nature and presence. And then from that presence, Feeling the revelation, feeling, feeling, okay, not from the ego, not from the persona, not from the mind, but the deeper desire, you could say, you know, it's language here, but of my soul, of my being, feeling the deeper desire. I would even say the deepest impulse of life. What is the deepest impulse of life that is seeking to express itself through me because the more you rest into presence the more i feel you bring yourself in tune and in alignment with life the intelligence the pure intelligence of life itself and i think when you 
rest in that place, then you you can start just tuning into what is what is the deepest what is the deepest impulse that is seeking to express through me? What is what is the deepest impulse? And just remain open. What is and then I believe I found that your goals, your dreams, your desires, it doesn't mean you're gonna sit there on the couch comatose. You know, you might work twenty hours a day, you might be in motion, but but where where the goals, the visions, the dreams arise from are a whole different place, a whole deeper place. And then the impulse of life starts moving through. Then that book that it comes through you, then that book, then you create the space within yourself to catch the vision for, for, for the creative uh, 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 reflection, the creative impulse of life to express through. And then they're not just your goals anymore. They're, they're like the, then that's not just your dream anymore. It's, it's life's dream. And you become the vessel. You become the vehicle. And when you realize, well, this isn't just my goal. This isn't just my, as an ego, separate self, my goal. This is life is seeking to express this through me. There is a tremendous peace because when you're you're wrapped up in, this is my goal and I, I as a ego, separate self, I have to make it happen. I, and then it's like, how do I make it happen? Oh my, then a whole bunch of stress and then you're not present anymore. Then a whole bunch of stress and fear and oh my God, and what will people think? And the shame and no, it doesn't, what if it doesn't work? But if you realize this is not... I'm not I'm not the doer here. Life is what is life the same intelligence that birthed the sun, the star, the moons, the galaxies, the same intelligence that's breathing seven billion people, the same intelligence that's functioning the the the, the, the fish in the sea and the whales and and the lion in the Sahara, the same intelligence that's functioning all of existence is actually living and breathing me and it's is is the force that is seeking to express through me as this vision then it it belo- that this dream belongs to life life which has been around a hell of a lot longer than i have and it will be around a lot longer even when me as this separate mind body is gone surely it knows how to fulfill itself if we can open ourselves and get ourselves out of the way and i think for me that's where the magic is then we can remain just present mm. present in this moment and and, and allow Allow it, what, what it requires, though, I think is the next level. It requires that we get ourselves out the way. But if you look at all the great ones, right, the, the Gandhis of the world, the Mother Teresas, the Mandelas, I think they, 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 they create miracles, the Jesuses of the world, all these folks, because they didn't just do it with their own limited egoic minds. They, they surrendered themselves. And I think for me, that's the key. We, we are here to surrender ourselves. And as we surrender ourselves, we allow life to move through. And that doesn't mean we won't be, that doesn't mean we won't do. It just, I think the shift will be, it might, so you look at someone, it might, it, it might not look that different. It might look like, well, this person is working 20 hours a day and that person's working 20 hours a day. But, but when you're coming from that level of presence and, and you could say you are being used by life, where the energy and the motivation is arising from is a complete, you are being fueled by a different energy. One is acquisition, competition, what can I get, which is there is no ultimate satisfaction there. And, and, and one, you are being used by life itself. And so I think that shift of what I've sought to do is really sit quietly and feel, be present and feel. What's the impulse? And then align my actions, my goals, my planning, my strategy, my team, my company around 
the deepest impulse, not the other way around. Mm. Wow. Um, this has been really, really thought provoking and uh, incredibly insightful. So I want to finish with my final question, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the Unmistakable cool. Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? <laughs> um, wow. I love these questions. Um, let me sit with that a few seconds. Unmistakable. Um, you know, I'm going to pick off where I continued in my last uh, response. I think what really makes us unmistakable is, you know, the world is constantly trying to have us conform, you know, say be normal and, and just, why can't you just be normal? And so I think when we are, for me, when, when, when we are able to surrender, when we are able to let go, when we are able to get our small selves, our limited selves, conditioned self, ego self out of the way and allow life to live through us. You look at Michael Jackson. He wasn't, I mean, he wasn't just dancing of his own, of his own human self. He was being danced by life. That was unmistakable. Michael Jordan, he wasn't just, you know, he was gone. He would even say when, it, when he's in the zone, he's not there. That was unmistakable. Because there's no limit to that. You know, you look at the great ones who were in the zone of the moment. And so for me, the degree with, with which you can get your, yourself, your small self out of the way and surrender yourself to being lived by life itself, then you tap into a whole nother level of possibility and power and creativity that is life, that is the zone of miracles, that is beyond your mind. You look at Mother Teresa, Gandhi, you look at Mandela, they were truly unmistakable because I believe they were being lived by the total force of life and nature itself. And what life was able to do through them was way beyond anything they could have, they could have done of their own limited selves. They were unmistakable. So I would say, trust bigger than yourself. Surrender. See what happens. Be lived by life. Miracles will happen. Miracles will unfold. Well, I think that makes a very fitting end to our conversation. Uh, where can people learn more about uh, you, your work, and the book? Oh, awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Well, I, I just have to say it's been, uh, it's been really beautiful hanging with you. You know, I do a lot of interviews and... Uh, I think there's a space that you hold, my brother, that is is really uh, – there's a presence in the space that you hold during your interviews that I feel really allows, at least for me, the beauty of, of my soul and I'm sure other guests to, to really emerge. So it's been uh, just sincerely uh, uh, a real blessing, a lot of fun, and a, and a joy to hang with you. Yeah. Uh, in terms of if anyone feels inspired by this conversation, I, I love connecting – with uh, just with, with people from all over the world. So if you feel inspired, there's a couple of websites. Um, number one, my main website, coopblackson.com, www.coopblackson.com. Uh, if you feel maybe you might want to uh, explore something deeper, and uh, I created a, an amazing event for leaders and visionaries to break through to the next level. It's called www.boundlessblissbali.com, boundlessblissbali.com. In terms of the book, uh, it's called You Are The One. You can go to Amazon 
or you can go to www.youarethebook.com where you'll also receive free gifts. I'm also on, you know, uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, and social media. Just reach out, say hi, let me know you you heard me on the Unmistakable podcast. Mm. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Running a business is hard, but your email marketing doesn't have to be. With AWeber's easy-to-use email marketing platform, you can stay connected with your audience, write new content faster, sell more, and grow your business, all without having to become an expert in yet another business tool. Start today at aweber.com slash podcast. That's A-W-E-B-E-R dot com slash podcast. AWeber, simpler email marketing. Spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.